Our God's a great God, amen? That means whatever we're facing, it will never be bigger than our God. And I uh, hope that uh, you are encouraged this evening. And I thought I'd start by uh, reading our passage and then praying over it, and then uh, we'll dive in. First uh, Peter chapter 4, verse 12 through 19. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let None of you suffer as murderers or a thief or an evildoer or a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Let's pray. Father God, we just pray right now as we dive into your holy and precious word that you would encourage us if we're struggling, if we're facing some adversity in our own life, trials, some type of suffering, Father, may these words be an encouragement. Um, may these words be helpful in, in coming alongside somebody else in our life that may need some encouragement, may need some wisdom right now in their life. So, Father, we thank you for the great reminder that um, you are a great God, you are a mighty God, and we have nothing to fear. We can trust you fully, no matter what life throws at us, because we know who ultimately holds this world, and that is you. So we thank you that you hold this world together, you have a plan, you have a purpose, and you are sovereign. So may we be encouraged from your holy scriptures tonight, I pray in Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen. amen. Go ahead and have a seat. Uh, In the book, See You at the House, Bob Benson recounts the story of a friend who had nearly died of a heart attack. A few months after the heart attack, Bob asked him, well, how do you like your heart attack? Oh, scared me to death almost. Would you do it again? No. Would you recommend it? Definitely not. Does your life mean more to you now than it did before? Oh, yes. You and now have always had a beautiful marriage, but are you closer now than ever? Yes. How about that new granddaughter? Yes. Do you have a new compassion for people, a deeper understanding and sympathy for them? Yes. Do you know the Lord in a deeper, richer fellowship than you had ever realized could be possible? Yes. And ask again, how'd you like your heart attack? Now, if you've had a heart attack, I hope that wasn't too insensitive to start with that. They're rather not fun, I know that. But the point that he's making in the book is each of us face difficult things in our lives, whether it's a health ailment or relationship struggle, 
And the point that he's making in his book is that so often we look at the terrible things that happen to us, but forget that there's something that God wants to do, can do, in the midst of those things. Something that maybe wouldn't even have happened in our life if not for the trial that he brought our way. Nobody likes pain or suffering, but oftentimes it is the best means in which God does his best work of growth in our lives. Eugene Peterson put it this way, suffering is not evidence of God's absence, but of God's presence. And it is in our experience of being broken that God does his surest and most characteristic salvation work. There is a way to accept, embrace, and deal with suffering that results in a better life, not a worse one, and more of the experience of God, not less. And it's my prayer tonight that as we dive into a passage of Scripture where Peter faces head on this issue of suffering in our life, that that would be true. We would leave here with a fresh perspective how God may very much be up to something amazing in our life, even amidst pain and suffering in our life. Take your Bibles, if you would, please, and turn to 1 Peter chapter 4. First uh, Peter chapter 4. And what I want to look at tonight as I studied this this morning and all afternoon and prayed over it, really what stood out to me are five things that pain can provide. Five things that pain can provide in our life. Uh, I want to encourage you, if you want to write these down, text them in your phone somewhere, or if you got a sheet of paper, you can write these five things down. You know, if you're going through some challenging times right now, that that these will be a source of encouragement to you. If you're not necessarily, you're like, hey, actually, everything's great tonight. You know, I guess I can put my mind on autopilot tonight because I'm not really suffering, so this one's not for me. Well... You know, Jesus said, in this world you will have trials. Okay, that day will come (laughs) if it's not here today. But maybe there's some stuff that, that you could write down for a friend in your life that's going through some things as a means to encourage them. And so... Um, I hope, I really do hope that these are an encouragement to you because all of us, it's inevitable, right? All of us are going to hit difficult seasons in our life. Not if, it's when. And then how do we navigate those seasons of our life? Well, when we understand what God's up to, I think we can face them with a little bit more of a sense of maybe even expectancy (laughs) of what God might do. Let's take a look, all right? The first one, verse 12. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. We'll stop right there. The first one is this. Pain can purify us. Pain can purify us. Uh, Notice there's two key words there in verse 12. It's the phrase fiery trial and the word test. Those are very important words if we're going to understand why we face trials, uh, tribulations in our lives. Fiery trial. That's the idea. It's alluding to what, what Proverbs 27, 21 tells us, that the crucible is for silver and the furnace is for gold. There is a process, this this fiery trial is meant to be 
like the fire that purifies gold. How do you purify gold? In Bible times, the goldsmith would heat the thing, and the impure metals would come up, rise to the surface, and it would wipe off the impure metals, and then apply some more heat, and more of the impure metals, uh, metals would come to the top and wipe them through. And this process of to where you finally have pure gold. In fact, it's said in Bible times, the way that they knew that they had pure gold is the goldsmith would look into the gold, and if he saw a reflection of himself, he knew that it had become pure gold. I want to suggest for all of us, the fiery trials that we face in our lives is that very thing where the the perfect goldsmith, where God himself is using those trials, the heat in our life to bring the impurities up from our lives. It's a test, like he says, to reveal where we're at. Boy, who doesn't seem spiritual when everything's great? Right? Who, Who can't be thankful when everything's great? Who isn't so thankful for God and, oh yeah, you're so great, God, when everything's great. But it's during the fiery trials that our faith is tested and it reveals where we are or where we are not in our life. And for us to get to that point also, where the God, the goldsmith, can look into us and see a reflection of himself. So oftentimes, the goal of suffering is, is, to, is to get rid of it. But what if instead the goal was that the image of Christ would be reflected in us through our suffering? That it would produce character in us that became more and more like Christ. Warren Wearsby wrote the following. When God puts his own people into the furnace... He keeps his eye on the clock and his hand on the thermostat. He knows how long and how much. Maybe you're here tonight and you're going through the fiery trial. Be encouraged. God is for you, not against you. He knows how long and he knows how much. Pain has this incredible potential of purifying our lives if we'll sit in it if we'll embrace it, if we'll ask God not to just get us through it, but to do something in us through it. Let's look at the second one, verse 13 through 14. But rejoice insofar as as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and God rests on you. Now, it almost seems a little bit insensitive. He's talking to these Christians who are suffering. They're suffering uh, for their faith. They're suffering just because they're in a broken, messed up world. And he says in just two verses, he says, rejoice twice. He says, be glad. And he says that you are blessed. Now, I don't know about you, but when I'm going through suffering in my life, that's not what automatically comes to mind. Woohoo! Yeah! Rejoice! I am so glad! I am so blessed! Thank you, Jesus! Now, maybe you're more spiritual than me, but that is not my first natural reaction when a trial comes into my life. But Peter says to them that there is, in suffering and pain, something very good that can come out of it, and that is the second thing. Not only can pain purify us, but pain can produce joy in us. 
And I know that seems like, like, like a contradiction of terms that pain can produce joy. And probably to be a little bit more um, accurate, it's really what pain produces that produces the joy in our life. But in these two verses, I want to suggest, and uh, I'll just give them to you real quick, three reasons we can have joy in pain. How in the world can pain produce joy? Well, he says in verse 13a, it helps us identify with Christ in his suffering. The joy in the suffering is that we are experiencing what Jesus himself experienced. There is a shared fellowship in that. And we have all know what that is. When, when you meet someone, you talk to someone, and they have a similar interest, and all of a sudden, right, there's this, this instant camaraderie that you feel. I have, I have this, this, this relationship. I know I need to leave the relationship, and I get rid of the relationship, and then I come back to it because I can't help it, and that is with a Jeep Wrangler. It is not practical. It is a gas guzzler, all right? It, the, the, it, they cost too much, and I, I get one, and then after a while, I'm like, what am I doing? They don't, even, they don't even feel good when you're riding in them. I mean, you look cool, but I mean, you know, now I'm selling this, and I sell it, and then after a while, I come back. I come back to her, you know, and, and, and I have a Jeep Wrangler now as we speak. But one of the cool things uh, about the Jeep Wrangler, I mean, why not when gas prices that are record high? Why not get a Jeep Wrangler? It makes total sense. Yeah. Um, it's used, and it's very old, so don't judge me. Okay. Um, but here's the thing I like. One of the things I like about you. It, it, it's like we, there's, a, there's a, a brotherhood and sisterhood of Jeep Wrangler owners. I'm just curious. Anybody have a Jeep Wrangler? Anybody here? Nobody? Yeah, you're all smart people. I, right? well, I, I do. But, but here's the thing, and I'm sure if, you, if you've, you've seen Jeeps, you know, and if you've ever had one, you know this, all right? It's the Jeep Wave, all right? The Jeep wave. So you're driving in your Jeep, and if another Jeep Wrangler comes by, you do this. And it's this. You got to get it right, okay? First time I got a Jeep, I didn't understand this. And everyone's like waving to me, like, wow. All right, you got to get it right. It's two hands, like this. Keep your hand on the wheel, do one of these, all right? It's like this camaraderie, right? This, this shared experience. Like, nobody else gets us in the world. They don't get it. It's our uncomfortable, they're gas guzzlers, but we love them. We're Jeep people. And we acknowledge one another. There is a shared experience there. Now, I say that in kind of a fun, lighthearted way. But you know, it's the same with suffering, isn't it? If you're, if you're someone, we were just talking about this out in the hallway earlier, that, that if you're someone that, that sadly lost a, a child, and, and you, you find out someone else has lost a child, there's like this instant compassion and connection camaraderie maybe even, that you feel with this other person because you're sharing in something that you've both experienced at a deep level. So why can there be joy in our suffering? Because Christ suffered. That's why it says in Hebrews, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with us in our weakness, for he was then tempted just as we are, yet was without sin. And so there's something very different about Christ in that he was perfect. But he's a sympathetic high priest because he suffered agony on earth. He suffered. He, he, and so when we suffer, in that suffering, to stop and remember, we have a Christ who can say, I know how you feel. 
And I would suggest there's an intimacy with Christ that can develop. More so in the valley of suffering than on the mountaintop of success. And that can produce a joy that circumstances can't take away. How in the world can pain produce joy? Well, secondly, it helps reveal God's glory. Verse 13b. It says that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. It reveals God's glory. When you walk through it and God walks you through it and he grows you, his glory is on display. And it really probably alludes more to the day of heaven. And so there's something about when we're suffering that causes us to have a greater yearning for glory, for heaven. And so in those moments, even of pain and hurt, it gives us a heightened awareness of how much greater heaven will be. And to remind us to stop putting our hope here, but in glory. How can joy, a pain, produce joy? The third thing he says in verse 14, it helps us experience the presence and power of God in a deeper way. I mean, look at that, verse 14. It says, because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. That sounds good, doesn't it? How about you? I want the spirit of glory and of God to rest on me. As hard as it is to go through pain and suffering, there is, when I look back, and I I can only answer for me in my life, and I think about those difficult seasons of life and have recently been through a difficult season of life, there, there is something about the presence of power of God that just seems to show up in a more powerful way in those moments in your life when you're at your point of desperation, when you're crying out, Lord, I don't get it. Lord, I hurt. Lord, just help me get up today. You see, we are prone to be self-sufficient people. Started all the way back in the garden with Adam and Eve. And sometimes it takes pain and suffering to remind us just how utterly dependent we are on God. And how desperately we need the power of the Holy Spirit in our life. This may not bring any comfort to any of you that are planning on being part of the church that I'm helping launch. I have mostly been in bigger churches, already established church. We're starting a church from scratch. I don't know what I'm doing. So how's that? (laughs) But I'm going to tell you there's something beautiful in that. Well, I can't rest on almost 30 years of, of my pastoral experience and, I hope, success. But I have to say, God, I help. <laughs> Open up the doors. Make it happen. And so there is something in pain and hard seasons of life when we can't rely on ourselves forces us to be where we should always be anyways, which is on our knee in dependency. And then that's when God fills us with his power and his presence. Can I get an amen? Amen. Amen. Third thing, look at verse 15 and 16. 
It says, but let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. In other words, verse 15, hey, there's a kind of suffering. That's on you, all right? (laughs) Because of sinful choices, you know, that's different. That's not what Peter is addressing here tonight, uh, what he's addressing uh, to these, these hurting Christians in Asia Minor and, and for us as well. We're not, we're not talking about the suffering that, that is, is, is a result of your own sinful choices and consequences, though God is even gracious in those things. But specifically saying, but if you're suffering as a Christian who's trying to do the right thing, who's trying to to follow hard after God, and you're still experiencing suffering. He said, don't be ashamed of that. It doesn't mean that something's wrong. It doesn't mean that God's trying to get you. It means that he wants to show off his glory in greater ways in your life. Suffering. I would argue that suffering is one of the greatest things to reveal who truly sits on the throne of our lives. It's in the suffering. Because if all I care about in suffering is to be free of suffering, then this world, my life, is about me. And don't get me wrong, I, I don't like pain. I ask God to take it away. But, but what I'm saying is if that's the most important thing, if that's what we dwell on, if that's what we think about, it's just for it to be gone because it's uncomfortable, it hurts, I don't want it. If that's the focus, it reveals that God is not on the throne. If I am obsessed with God, through life, death, good times, bad times, if I'm obsessed with God being glorified in my life, then even in suffering, I say, thank you, God, for an opportunity to point people to your magnificent light. Suffering reveals who sits on the throne of our lives. Whether or not we have a faith where it's God's job to serve me or faith where we see that it's our life, our opportunity to serve him. And so suffering, if it truly is about glorifying God in this time that we have on earth, to point everything to him, to point people to him, then when we suffer well, when we suffer honestly. <laughs> suffering well, by the way, let me just, suffering well does not mean putting on your fake, cheesy Christian smile and acting like nothing's wrong and nothing hurts. That's not suffering well. That's not being honest. <laughs> you know what suffering well is? It's being honest and transparent and being willing to say, so I'm struggling today. Will you pray with me? Will you pray over me? But it also continues to serve. It continues to share Christ. It continues to love. It continues to obey. 
even in the midst of suffering. That's suffering well. It's not stuffing it and pretending it's not there. It's honest about the hurt. It's honest about the pain. It's depending on Christ and other people in your life. But it's also still getting up every day and being obedient to Jesus Christ. That's suffering well. And that brings great glory. And that causes the world to take notice and say, how in the world can you have joy when you're going through dot, dot, dot. Pain can purify us. Pain can produce joy in us. Pain can bring glory to God. Look at the uh, fourth one, verse 17 and 18. It says, for it is time for judgment to begin. So this is kind of odd. It took me a while to figure out what Peter was doing here. Because it's almost like he switches gears here. He's providing this encouragement. And then he starts talking about judgment. Like, my goodness. Talk about insensitive, right? On the surface, anyways, it looks like that. Like, you're, you're, you're talking about a person suffering. Like, and then he's talking about judgment. Like, man, just heap some more on me. But, but I think, I'll explain what I think he's doing here. Verse 17 and 18. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. Those are believers, right? Followers of Christ, the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? So before I give this point, I want to explain that word judgment because I think for most of us, when we see that word judgment, we, we automatically come to the idea of condemnation. And oftentimes, the word for judgment in the Bible is condemnation. And I forget the Greek word now. It escaped my mind, and I, I didn't write it down. But there's a word for judgment in the Greek language, translated as judgment in the English, that does carry the idea of condemnation. That's not the word that Peter's using here, though. For judgment. Think of a different kind of judgment. Think of like the judgment seat. Right? First, uh, uh, First Corinthians 3, 2 Corinthians 5 talks about the judgment seat of Christ. I think we might have even mentioned it last week or the week before. I've been to uh, Corinth and seen the, the, Bima, the, Bima, the judgment seat in the ancient city. It still exists. Stood on top of it. Probably was, was what Paul had in mind when he wrote about the judgment seat of Christ as he wrote to the church in Corinth, in 1st and 2nd Corinth, Corinthians. It was used for them to judge events. It wasn't a judgment of condemnation. It, it, it was a judgment of winning and losing or winning many rewards, or a few rewards, or no rewards. And so this isn't for the believer a judgment of condemnation that Peter's talking about. What he's saying, catch this, that when suffering comes, it is an opportunity for you to win, not lose. To not lose out on the rewards. To not lose out on the crowns that the suffering can produce in your life. This is an opportunity to gain more rewards. To gain more glory to God. It's a judgment of where we win or lose in, in, in the midst of suffering. Will it be an opportunity for reward? You see, the fourth reason for pain is that pain can result in rewards for us. In 1799, Conrad Reed discovered a 17-pound rock 
while fishing in Little Meadows Creek. Not knowing what it was made of, his family used used it as a doorstop for three years. In 1802, his father, John Reed, took it to a jeweler who identified it as a lump of gold worth about $3,600. This is back in 1802. That lump of gold, which was used as a doorstop for three years in North Carolina, is one of the biggest gold nuggets ever found east of the Rockies. And for three years, they didn't understand the worth of it. Please hear me, friends. There is great worth in pain and suffering. There is great opportunity for kingdom impact in what God is producing in us and how God can use it to impact others. I don't know what it's like to lose a child. Some of you have faced that pain. I'm going to tell you what, you are more equipped to come alongside and show compassion and to show love and to help navigate somebody else that's lost a child. And there is in that great reward for you. What is a great loss, humanly speaking, becomes great reward, heavenly speaking. Because God uses that pain and suffering to better equip you to help somebody else in need. And so it's a judgment, not in the negative sense, but becomes a positive judgment, that suffering, where you are rewarded by Christ with crowns in heaven. Does that make sense? One more, verse 19. Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. I want you to notice this, and this is probably a whole nother talk. But notice, according to God's will. I don't think the idea is simply it's God's will to to take the suffering in the right way, though that could be some of the idea. No, I, I think what it says is that sometimes it is God's will to go through pain and suffering. Why would God ever do that? Well, it was God's will for Jesus to suffer through pain and suffering. I would not say... You know, there's three types of pains, really. There's self-inflicted pain, right? That's on us. (laughs) There's others-inflicted pain. That's the sin of others that have impacted us. But there is a God-inflicted pain. And God, in the midst of a broken, fallen world is able to navigate that brokenness in our lives with a suffering that produces something of eternal value. Very important word here. And I think it's one of the keys in this whole passage. 
It's easy to miss. It's the word entrust. In fact, I would underline it if I was you. Entrust. Entrusting our souls to a faithful creator while doing good. You see, the last point I want to make tonight is that pain can deepen our trust in God. Job experienced more pain and suffering in a week (laughs) than many of us in a lifetime. And you read through Job, and it is a roller coaster of emotions. And I want to just tell you something. That's okay. That's okay. That's being human. But the one thing he held tight, his thinking wasn't always right either. He accused God some in there. So I always find that fascinating when, when God finally shows up to Job at the end of the book and calls him blameless. That fascinates me. Because his theology, catch this, his theology wasn't always correct in those middle chapters. But as he wrestled through his theology and his emotions and understanding God, here's the one thing Job never did. He never let go of his grip on God. He never turned away. He never turned to other gods to comfort him, to to settle for something less. Yeah, I think sometimes as Christians, to ease the pain, instead of going into the deep places, into the intimate places with the Savior, sometimes we turn to other gods to make us feel better. Drinking, drugs, relationship. Or sometimes we just settle for a shallow faith and move on, never really getting it, never really being okay with it, the suffering. Or we can see it as an opportunity to hold tight and learn to trust him like we've never trusted him before. Because I promise you this, he is, as Peter said, a faithful creator. You know what it says in 2 Timothy? It says that he remains faithful even when we're faithless. How good is our God? He's worth trusting, isn't he? Well, I want to end with this uh, kind of a heavy subject, so I'll end with a somewhat lighter ending for us, okay? Okay man by the name of Jack went jogging, and as he passed a cliff, he got a little too close to the edge, and suddenly he found himself falling over the cliff. But on the way down, he managed to grab a branch, nearly yanking it out of the cliff. Cliff. When he caught his breath, he realized what a terrible jam he was in. He couldn't get up, and letting go certainly seemed to be a poor option. He began to scream, Hello up there, can anyone hear me? 
In a moment, a voice returned, Jack, can you hear me? Yes, yes, I can hear you. I'm down here. I can see you, Jack. Are you all right? Yes, but who are you and where are you? I'm the Lord, Jack. I'm everywhere. The Lord? You mean God? That's me. God, help me. I promise that if you get me down from here, I'll stop sitting. I'll do, be a good person. I'll serve you the rest of my life. Easy on the promises, Jack. First, let's get you down. Then we can discuss these other things. I'll do anything, Lord. Just tell me what to do, okay? Okay. Let go of the branch. What? I said, let go of the branch. Just trust me. Let go. There was a long pause as Jake fought over the offer. But in a moment, he began to yell. Hello, hello, is there anybody else up there? (laughs) Not always easy to trust God, is it? We know here. We know it's the right Sunday school answer. But sometimes in the heat of the moment, in our flesh, we try to fix it. Or we turn to something else. Boy, what an opportunity we have. As painful as it is to learn to trust God. To let him purify us. To produce a joy. A toughened joy in us. Amen? Father God, thank you so much for this challenge. Um, This is a subject every one of us will face, some in more tragic ways than others, but every one of us feel the effects of a sin-cursed world. So Father, in those moments, may it cause us to yearn for heaven and rejoice that we have a place in heaven, and you tell us in your book, in First Peter, in the opening verses, that it is secure, an inheritance that's secure. Nothing can take that away. Purify us, Father. Produce joy. Help us glorify you. Teach us to really trust you. Allow you to do your work so that on that day in glory, We'll hear those wonderful words, well done and good and faithful servant. And great will our reward be in heaven as we trusted you here on earth. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you were encouraged by God's word today. You can join us each weekday morning for a five-minute fill-up. And for other teaching, writing, and training resources, don't forget to check out our website at uncagedbibleministry.com. The mission of Uncaged is to help people fall in love with the Word of God so they fall more in love with the God of the Word.